0: Thank you, Renee. I just met her yesterday. She's from Wisconsin. Um, okay, at this time I'd like to introduce our speaker, Kelly R. She's from Cincinnati, and I just met her today, um, but I had, she had been recommended to me. Um, I'm not very linked into al on Cincinnati, mm-hmm. so... Um, The meeting I go to has just me and one other person. (laughs) Please help me give a warm AA welcome to Kelly. I'm really excited to hear her story. Hi, thank you very much, Caitlin, for um, asking me to speak today. I'm honored. Um, hmm, Let's see. You know, if you've ever taken a communications class or a public speaking class, they always say to sort of open with a joke, uh, you know, audience in your underwear kind of moment. And um, I have no jokes for you today. So um, uh, when I did come into Al-Anon, I saw those 12 steps and I thought, that's a checklist for me, and I'm really good at checklists, and I thought I was just going to rifle down 1 through 12, and I was going to get to look back at the people and say, look, see, I tried it, it doesn't work, and it's not for me. I don't need your help. And um, it's been 10 years, so the joke's on me. I'm still checking off those 12 steps. Um, <clears throat> so oh, my story. Um, I was born into alcoholism my mother was um pregnant uh and um with me and she continued to drink and do drugs so it's my pedigree for lack of a better word and um it continued on and uh i was born completely happy and healthy and uh it's always been this point that i go back to between me and god that um he sort of had my back he was looking out for me so um that is my touchstone when it comes to this. And, um, you know, growing up in an alcoholic home, I, I was in a meeting not too long ago, and um, I it was a newcomer. And she's a young girl. And she said, um, growing up in an alcoholic home with alcoholic parents is like uh, your living room full of minds. And you're not exactly sure where to step. And one day you step and they go off, and the other day you step and they don't. And it leaves you as a young person with no footing. Um, How do I act? How do I behave? What kind of mood is she going to be in today? Um, And that was me, all growing up. And it's a beautiful metaphor of what it's like to navigate not knowing what to do and still loving this person deeply. And um, it was difficult growing up. And uh, it was painful. And, um, you know, my... You just didn't know what to expect. Um, What you could expect was fighting and yelling and plates breaking. There was a Greek wedding at our house every weekend. It was her M.O., you know. And um, at that point, that was, I knew, to take my little sister, and I would go into our room, and I would put on puppet shows and turn the music up real loud. And no one told me to do that. I stepped up into that plate of... I didn't want her to have the same memories that I was having. Um, Not even uh, thinking that it wasn't probably normal that I was having these memories as a young kid. But that's just what I did. Um, And that's just how it was. And uh, I can remember being a young girl, like a very young girl, like a 12-year-old. And um, I was in love with Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. And there was these magazines that you could, you know beat, And you could open them up. And I littered my walls with them. And uh, she came storming in my room one day and ripped them all down from the walls. I have no idea why she did this. Um, when she left, it was just newsprint. So I could see where her fingers had sort of hit the, the poster and scratched it down. And I remember thinking as a 12-year-old, this isn't normal. This, you know, You don't see this on TV. When I go to my friend's house, like... This this doesn't seem normal. Um, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out why I was in this situation and, and why I was here experiencing this with her. And um, I just decided, okay, I've got... As far as the parent card was dealt, I got a bad one. When it's my turn, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it the way I think it should be done. And I'm just not going to take her example. And that's what it was like. And, um, you know, all the while, she was trying to get sober. And she was struggling with finding a solution. And this came in the form of youth group retreats and counseling and music and talking and, you know, just all the things that go along with it. And at one point, um, this was towards the tail end. Um, I was a young girl. She had me over in the corner with her hands on me and she was speaking in tongues and it was just gibberish. And I was just like, what is this? And I was older at that point and I, tears were just streaming down my face. And, uh, I just didn't, afterwards she hugged me and I can remember her vividly saying, thank you, you get me. You're the only one who understands me and the struggle and the pain that I'm going through. And I was crying because she was crazy. She just was a flake and I didn't understand her and she supplied no sense of security or strong footing for me as a young girl. And um, shortly after that, she, uh, she found her way to AA. And, um, you know, the idea of finding AA and then just poof, it just becomes better. Um, that wasn't my experience. <laughs> just because she went to an AA meeting didn't mean everything was roses at our house. And, um, you know, it, it's the idea of process and, you know, ticking along until you find, for lack of a better word, a spiritual outlet. That's what she was lacking. That's what we were lacking as a family. And um she had gotten divorced. This was her second marriage. She got divorced, and she moved us clear across town, and I was starting a new high school in the middle of high school. So she was sober. She was in AA, and um it was a new chapter. And I said... This is it. I'm on my own. I'm going to do new friends. I'm going to do new people. It's a new town. I'm going to start fresh. She can do her. And I'm going to do me. And that's where our divide really truly began. Because I have always loved my mother and I've always sort of rooted for her. It's this weird yin and yang relationship of like, I love you and I hate what you do to me. And, and this, this back and forth. And so, I mean, I was a teenager. She tried to get me to go to Alan, Alateen. Oh, I wasn't having any of Alateen. I was like, you want me to go to a meeting because you have had, you know, all these issues for years? There's no way that I'm going to do that so I just went on my own and I did it. And um, she had met a man in AA and um, they had become a serious relationship. And, you know, they ended up getting married and I was graduating um, high school and uh, they moved everyone into a big house together. So it was me and my sister, this new father and his daughter. Like, dysfunctional Brady Bunch, just all of us stuck together like rats in this little house, you know? And she was like, yay, like, we're going to be happy. And I was just staring at her like I wanted to kill her. And um, I thought, okay, this is going to work. And so I left. Um, And I moved out. And I was like 18, 19, and it was awesome. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's ever been scared to move out when you were 18 or 19, but I found it refreshing. It was awesome. I was on my own. No one was in charge of me. I had my own rules. It was a breath of fresh air. And so this, once again, going back to that idea in my mind of like, I'm going to do it my way, my rules, my own navigation. I'm going to do it the way I think it should be done. And, um, I struggled, but it was fun. And at this point, um, I was in school, in college, and um, I was diving. And, um, you know, all along this process, if I really look back, there's always been this pit in my stomach of ah, this nagging or gnawing sort of sensation of things just aren't right. They just aren't perfect. There's just one little bit missing and I could never put my finger on it. And I always thought that fame and fortune was going to fix it. And so when I dove, um, I wanted to be an Olympian and I thought for sure um, a gold medal and that medals platform would solve it for me. Now, I don't know if any of you can name a diver right now. I couldn't name a diver. They're not really known to be like fame and fortune across the world. But that was my narrow vision of how I was going to fix this nag inside me. So... You know, I ended up blowing out my knee and quitting school. And I said, this isn't going to work. So um, the next thing was I joined a band. And I thought, okay, for sure this is a faster route to fame and fortune to be a lead singer of a rock band. So I did that for so many years it wasn't even funny. And um, that gnawing never went away. Um, even when I was up there with lights with the whole audience's eyes on me, there was still this bit missing. And I didn't know how to fix it. I ended up quitting my band. And um, I met my husband very quickly after that. And um, we were a year in dating. And um, I got pregnant. And I thought, this will do it. This is my solution. You know, this is my chance this is going to be me our family tree is going to start with me I'm going to get to decide how to do it and I'm not going to do it any way she did it I'm going to do it all on my own and this is going to be great I thought it was great Um, so you know we have the baby and um, very quickly learned that I was not equipped to be the mother that I thought I wanted to be And the reason for that is because I didn't have an example. I had no working script of how to be kind, compassionate, patient, to the umpteenth degree. Um, Sacrificing everything for this little person in front of you that needs you 100%. It was hard, and I was finding myself... Yelling, I was finding myself becoming angry. And we say in our promises, irritable, discontent without even knowing it. That was me. That was me all day long. My mom said, I think you should try Al-Anon. She said, if you were sick any other way, I would suggest help for you. And so I thought, all right, I'll go, you know. The day I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, I was driving there, and uh, somebody in front of me hit a deer. And the deer was laying there half-dead in the road, and I pulled off to the side of the road, and I got out, and I asked the people, Did you call somebody? And they said, Yeah, they're on their way. And I thought, Well, I can't go to the Al-Anon meeting. I have to help this deer, you know? So any excuse not to go. So I get out and I go and I rush to the deer and I'm staring at the deer and the deer staring at me and I'm not a veterinarian. I mean, I was just staring at a dying deer in the road just so I didn't have to go to an Al-Anon meeting. Like that's how desperate the reverse of it was. I was like, so eventually the deer's just staring at me like you're either going to help me or get the hell out. And that's what it was. You know, I looked at my clock and I said, I'm going to be a half an hour late to the meeting. Okay, I'll just show up, I'll hide in the back, in and out, check it off my list. That's what I did. When I got there, it was five minutes early, and they were all like, Hi, welcome to Al-Anon, and they're shaking my hand, and I was a newcomer, and they love newcomers, you know, oh, come here, well, you know, here's a packet, and here's everything for you. I was like, oh, God. So I get there, and I'm in the beginner's meeting, and um, somebody said, You're in the right place. And what I heard was that nagging that has been there since birth. We have a possibility to solve that for you. And that was so intoxicating. I was hooked. And I was staying. And so I did. I stayed. And I went to all the beginners meetings. I did everything that they told me to do. And, you know, I, I just kept coming back. And for the first year, I just sat and I just cried. And I don't know why, but the only way I can think about it is when it's the middle of a drought and the earth is cracked and so scorched and just, you know, no moisture left. The minute you pour water on it, nothing happens other than the water rolls away quickly. Very small bits kind of seep into the cracks and that's what was happening that first year in Al-Anon for me is that people were watering me with this love and this wisdom and how to fix the nagging gnawing in my belly and I was only getting bits and pieces of it and um, you know eventually it was loosening me up and uh, you know our, my, my second year in uh, we were pregnant with our second And, um, I don't know. Uh, I just, things, my husband had drunk all along, just a little bit, not sure, kind of left him alone. But, um, he had revealed to me that, um, right after our second son was born that he had a problem with pills. And so I said, Wow. I mean, I had no idea. I was in a blank, like, just, I had no idea. And so I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I think I'm going to go to AA. And because of my mother and because of my stepfather and because AA was a culture in our lives and we knew about it, we had that resource there. So he went. And he ended up getting sober. And for that next year, raising babies and and him going, it was wonderful. It was Happy, you know, the fairy tale. It was all done. And um, life was good. And um, I was going to Al-Anon, chugging along, that sort of a thing. And just about a year afterwards, the way he described it to me was, he said, you know, I get that pills are probably not good and you know drinking hard liquor and staying out all night and you know getting crazy drunk is not a good idea but i think i'm allowed to have a beer here and there and from what i've understood that is the little sneaky part of that disease sort of penetrating the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong as far as happiness and sobriety is concerned and um That's what happened. He started drinking. So the only thing I knew how to do was to dive into Al-Anon. Now, prior to that, I had gone to Al-Anon, I had worked some steps. I mean, I feel like I was doing the bare minimum of Al-Anon. So um, this was challenging my recovery. This was challenging me to, you know, put my money where my mouth was. What am I gonna do? Now I have a partner that isn't actively drinking. How am I going to solve it? How am I going to be happy? How am I going to raise children in this? You know, all the things that go along with, like, the chaos and, oh, my gosh, you just start to panic. Oh, my God, this is going to be my life again. This is where I found myself. And all I could do was just start again. And that's what I said to myself. I said, you know what? I'm just going to start at the beginning. I'm going to do these steps. And I'm going to revisit him after I do these. I'm going to put all of my, you know, dedication, my time, all of my efforts, I'm going to put into this, and then I'll see what happens with him later. So while this is going on, you guys all said, you know, it's not him, it's the disease. To see the word sick written across his forehead. Except my word began with a D and not an S. And couldn't see another word. I was trying so hard, but every time he didn't come to dinner and every time he didn't show up, every time he didn't do what he was supposed to do as a partner, as a dad, tick right there. That was forcing me to really, really look at me. You know and Ellen always said, keep the focus on us and not an alcoholic. You know? And I've heard from the beginning, really good, upstanding members of Al Anon, you don't even know who the alcoholic is in their life. Because it's not about the alcoholic in the room. It really, truly is about how I react to it. And I was reading over some literature this morning, and it said, and it was just beautifully worded, it said, alcoholics act, everyone else reacts. And that's exactly it. That's the idea of it. So, he's bumbling along, I'm bumbling along, this is, you know, it's, it's not a good time in our lives. No one was happy, no one was throwing parties, you know, it was not good. And it really forced me to sort of take a look at myself, it forced me to evaluate, What made me happy? And it made me revisit that gnawing, nagging feeling. Why was that there? Why couldn't I get rid of it? What caused it? What can I do to fix it so that I don't have to feel it? Because it really truly did stop me from being happy completely, regardless of what was going on around me. And, you know, it got to the point where it was really bad between us. And I found myself, you know, I'm Googling are we going to get separated? Are we going to get divorced? That's where it had brought us to. And so I didn't know what to do. So I had asked him if he could move out. And so he did. He moved out. And he said to me, he said, I want to still take them to school every morning. And so I said, all right, fine. Show up, take them to school. Now, I thought, people say that all the time. I'm really good at, like, you can say that you love me. Yeah, yeah, yada, yada. I want to know that you do. And the only way I know is how you act and behave. And my sponsor had always said all along this, it's the behavior we're looking at. That's how we're judging the situation. That's how I know where my footing is. It's the behavior of the people around me. That's what I can trust. That's what I can look at. That is my proof, my clues, my evidence. So he showed up. He would get dressed for work. He would come. He would pick those kids up. He would take them to school. And he would go off to work. And this went on and on and on. And it was wonderful. It was the first time he was accountable, you know? And what was happening was um, that word across his forehead was changing. It was changing from Dick to Daddy, you know? And that was wonderful to see. And the only way I could know that that was really happening is because of his actions. So this went on, and eventually it got to the point where I said, Can, can you come back? I'd like you to come back. So upon coming back, there was a couple stipulations. And one of them was... Um, there's a certain behavior in my house that I cannot handle. I cannot handle drinking. I can't handle what I think is not good, which is a married man with young children going out after work, drinking at a bar, staying out at the sports club, whatever the reason is. I don't really care about your sports, you know, or whatever else the reason was why you had to be out somewhere drinking. I didn't want that. It was not going to happen if you want to stay here. And it wasn't a, you, you know, it was his choice. Alanon opened a world of choices for me. And I got to say, okay, this is what I'm willing to live with. This is my boundary. And I had to be willing and I had to be able to accept <laughs> if that boundary didn't want to be met, you know. But I set that boundary and he was willing to stick with that boundary. So he moved back in. We moved these grasses from the front of the house to the back of the house. And they were huge. They're like main grasses. I don't know if you've ever seen those grasses. They're like huge. And they've got they're just heavy. We had to dig them up And move them to the back. This is important because this was the first time we ever did anything as an equal couple. No one was yelling at the other person while we were putting together the bassinet. No one was saying, okay, well, I don't know how to do this. You've got to do it on your own. And bailed and left the room. This was an equal opportunity task. We both dug them up. We both lifted them. We both took them to the back, divided them, and planted them. 50-50. When those grasses went in, I could see them from my back bedroom. I said, you know what, God? If those grasses survive and they bloom come spring, I'll stay with them, okay? If they don't, then we all know where this is headed. So I don't know if that's the best advice to give anyone to, like, root your marriage on landscape, but that's what I did. Because as soon as they went in the ground, it was the end of the season, granted, but as soon as they went in the ground, those things died, okay? They turned to straw, and I was like, mm. Okay, so this is winter, so I'm working my own program. I'm keeping the focus on me. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing, and I'm staying out of it. That's what I've learned now and on you know, I'm really good at sort of Martin scorsese seizing it. Like, I want to set the stage, and I want to tell you what to say, and I want to tell you what to do, because... I'm great at telling an alcoholic how not to be an alcoholic. No, I'm not. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't know what it entails. I don't know what the sobriety part of it entails. I don't know what the day-to-day, like, living in your head entails. Yet, I'm so arrogant enough that I can be like, well, this is how you're supposed to do it. I've learned in Al-Anon that sometimes it's best for me to just shut up and not say anything. Especially if I don't know what I'm talking about, or I have no experience or education in the task. Those choices, that new perspective of like, wait a minute, why am I telling him what to do? And everyone else, that was, it's eye-opening for me. So, I watched this movie in the process of all of this. And um, this isn't conference approved, so just deal with it. Um, (laughs) It's called Facing the Giants. And it was about this um, young coach of a football team. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. It's not like a blockbuster movie by any means. It's kind of like an A&E sort of situation. And so I'm watching this, and, um, you know, he, he's leading the football team, but he's leading the football team through prayer and action towards God. That they're going to give it up to God whether it's a win or a loss. Okay, and all the parents, all the football parents are like, you know, like, what is that? You know, they're scared about it. So he's teaching these young boys that the win is like icing on the cake and the loss just gets tucked under with the training, which is brilliant for young people to learn. P.S. So he's doing all of this and uh, all the while his wife is trying to get pregnant. And they're trying and trying and nothing's working and nothing's working. And, you know, they almost make state and then they don't. And then they find out that the team cheated. So they get, like, this one last chance to, like, go in there. And while they're, like, doing this, the wife, this is, like, the last shot at, like, you know, the fertility thing to, like, go. So she goes and she gets the news and they say, we're sorry, whatever, da-da-da-da-da, you're not pregnant. And that was like their last chance. And so she's crying and she runs out to the car. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is where she curses God. This is where God lets her down, you know? And she said, thank you. And it shocked me and it froze me in my tracks. And what she said was, thank you because I want this with all of my heart. This is what I want more than anything. And if you're not willing to give it to me, then that means you have so much more in store for me. And that gratitude, that trust, hit me like a truck. And it was my spiritual experience. Four years into al I mean, I did your steps, but that movie was what it was for me. And it taught me that... Sometimes what you want so bad is only from your perspective. It's what you see fit, not what God sees fit. And so while that was happening, I gave my husband over to God. I said, I want him to be sober. I want him to be present. I want him to be with me and want this partnership, this equalness, this striving for the same thing, which is really a simple little life. I'm not in charge of it. I'm not in all my arrogance, and all of my planting the scene and all of my, you know leaving the lead on the corner of the, <laughs> the corner of the table so he'd pick it up and listen to it on his way to work. I mean, God, all of my futile, like little, you know tries. what it taught me was to leave him alone. And what our literature says is, when I'm doing that, I'm being arrogant. I'm not giving him the dignity that he has his own path, and that he has his own God. Someone once said, you know, we're on loan here from God. Okay, so let's take that idea. So if I'm on loan, and I'm here bouncing around, and there's this higher power who's in charge of me. Okay. He's the one that I need to set my sights on. He's the one that I need to rivet my goal towards how he wants me to be. And all the other stuff is just details that get me in the way and and really trip me up from my, my main perspective. So for me to think that I know what's best for my husband is me being arrogant and me not giving him the grace and the space to find his own way, his own God, his own path. You know, I was listening to an an AA lead, and uh, she says it, so I'm going to steal it from her, um, she says that there's a guy that comes into a meeting, and he said, yeah, my name is yeah, yeah, yeah and I'm an alcoholic, and I have 79 days, but I drank last night, so I only have 78. And so, <laughs> they were all like, you blithering fool, no you don't, you know? Um... But her idea was, well, why? why does it have to be this, you know? And when I think of that in conjunction with me... And working my own recovery, you know, no one shows up to me when I've lost it on my kids and everything that I've learned for 10 years went right out the door because I was upset with someone else, because I hadn't done a fourth step that day, because I hadn't checked my own motives, because I was, you know, just in this irritable space and I didn't know to say my prayers and just hand it over. No one shows up and goes, you know, you have to start all over. You know, no one does that to me. So why am I going to expect that from him? He's on his own path, his own path. And once we set that goal of coming in together and starting it over, I left him the hell alone. And someone will say, well, when's the last time you drank? And I'll say, I don't know it's not my business. And they'll say, well, is he sober? And I'll say, I don't know. It's not my business. Like how weird is that? That'd be like if I was trying to lose weight and people like always showing up to me and being like, how much do you weigh today? I mean, how rude is that for me to get into your personal business, which is really a spiritual path to God. That in my book is arrogance on my part of me thinking I need to know your business. So I leave him alone. I couldn't tell you when the last time he drank or not. couldn't tell you if it was yesterday. couldn't tell you if it was ten years ago. What I can tell you is that he's accountable by the boundaries that we set in our house. He doesn't drink in my house. He shows up to everything. He's there at night. He tucks his kids in with me. He's my partner. I love him. We're there. We communicate. And that's what I can judge him by. All that other stuff. I have to let that go. That's not my business. That's God's business. And if I'm a good member of Al-Anon, I have to really get out of his way and let him find his own path. That, to me, is working an Al-Anon problem. I mean, working an Al-Anon program. It is me focusing on myself, not an alcoholic. We say that all the time. Focus on yourself, not the alcoholic. Okay, well, then if I'm going to focus on myself, that's what I'm going to do. So, you know... This is going on, and here's my dilemma now. So we're in this together, and we've gone through all of this tough stuff. How do you get back to a place where you love and trust this person? How do you go back with your spouse and start from scratch, knowing what you know, having gone through what you've gone through? Where does it become fresh and new? Okay, well, we decided to take off our rings and exchange them right there. And it wasn't, you know, a big ceremony. It was what we promised to do. And while I can't speak for him, I can speak for myself. And what I said was, I promise not to bring up old shit. And to persecute you for wrongs that you've done in the past. That, for me, was our stumbling block. Every time we get into a fight, that's where I went. Oh, yeah? Well, and I have a really good memory, and I have a really long list, and I would just rifle through them, and it was no good. It was like one step forward and a mile backwards. It was no good, and it was one of my character defects because we get in a fight, and he says something about me, and, I mean, if he says something bad about me, my armor goes on like transform armor. (laughs) And I'm like locked and loaded and ready to fight. And my tongue is quick and I'm clever. And I will cut you because that's my character defect. And so when we get into a fight, the arm will come on. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And then that's what would happen. And it was not a good solution for a productive, loving marriage and partnership. So that was what my vow was. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to struggle with it. And I might have to stop myself and... Literally cover my mouth sometimes. But that's what I'm going to have to do. I don't want to bring it up. I want to get past it. The idea of really letting go. And the idea of really moving forward. You know, forgiveness, hmm, it's a tricky thing. Because our minds don't ever forget. So how do you move on with a clear conscious, smooth state of being? What we did was we decided to enter into a courtship. We were only going to hold hands. That went on for weeks and weeks. We'd go to bed holding Like this cheesy little couple. I don't know what works for you. This is just what works for me. But that hand-helding, that moved into sitting next to each other on the couch, which moved into a kiss goodnight, which moved into oh, wow, he's handsome, you know. Because regardless... I love this man. And whatever we went through and the difficulties, I still wanted to be his wife. I wanted to be his partner. I wanted to get out of the muck and into the light. And it's the only way I knew how to do it. So while all of this was going down, spring was beginning and those damn grasses came back. Yeah, they did. And that's the way my God works is because um, you know, I can test him and he's really super funny. Like, this is the story. This is how God works in my life. Um, a little kid spilt something on the new white rug and I got mad and went postal and I was like, Are you kidding me? Okay, accidents happen, you know what I mean? So when I apologized to the toddler afterwards, this was years ago, I said, I'm so sorry, I handled that really wrong, said, How about we pray for an accident that way The next time it happens, I'll know how to behave. Blue slushy all over my white. I asked for it. I literally asked for an accident. And God was like, here you go. Blue slushy. You know, if you want to be patient, from my experience, you can't just say, God, make me patient and bibbity bobbity boo You're patient. You know, my God works in my life by giving me examples and scenarios where I can practice patience. So that's what was happening. You know, those grasses were coming back and I was practicing patience in our marriage and I was practicing the idea of can we really make it out? Can we really move forward? Can I really focus only on myself? Can I let go of what my trip ups are, which is fixing everyone? I, You know, see, here's the thing. I'm smart. I'm educated. I'm fairly clever. I think I'm a good speaker. So I have, like, a really good, like, argument, you know? I always feel like, in the court of law, the gavel will go down. like, she's right. She's totally right. She made great points. Like, she, she, she wins. But it doesn't get me where I need to be. Winning the argument doesn't make the gnawing go away. Finding happiness, a space where we can both come together. That's what solves it for me. And Alan has done that through um, working the steps, going to meetings. You know, when I really started to do it, and we really sort of turned around, and it was turning from different words. You know, it was, it's been like a movie screen, in his forehead to me. It has had so many words. Occasionally the D word doesn't, you know, pop back up because we're human and, you know, no one's perfect. And, um, you know, but it turned into partner and it turned into equal and it turned into spouse. And it, he's, he's shown me how to be patient because that's, what I'm not very good at. And I find that when you give the space to others and you really can let them do it their way, I'm always taught something. I'm always floored that when I can just shut up and let somebody else do it, then there's the space where not only do they grow, but I get to grow as well. I was watching that National Lampoon's um, Holiday Vacation. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but he's trying to put all the lights over his house. And there's like a million lights, okay? And then when he goes to plug it in, of course it doesn't work. So he's going through and he's checking every bulb, da-da-da-da, and he's like, I don't know what, you know. So then the wife goes, she flips on the light in the, in the garage, and um the house lights up. And everyone's like... Clark, oh my God, you did it, good job. You know, everyone's going, okay. And then she turns off the light because she left the garage and then goes out. And he's like, out of loss. And then she has this moment in the kitchen where she's like, ah, it's the switch in the garage. So she marches in and turns the switch in the garage, okay? The whole house lights up. She goes out and everyone is like cheering and applauding. Clark, you did a great job. The house looks great. Prior to Al-Anon, I would have been the wife that went out and said, You know what? He didn't do it. It was me. I did it. I had the idea. I did the switch. No. That's not a good look. (laughs) It's just not a good look. Now that I get to work Al-Anon, now that I have had a spiritual awakening, now that I get to see life from different perspectives, I get to be the girl who flips on the switch and then goes and enjoys... The moment that was not mine to take. And that is the spouse I want to be. And that is the spouse that Alanon has shown me. So while he was doing his thing, I was doing mine. And I turned into the wife that flipped on the switch and gave him the grace to have his moment. Because it's not a good look to go out grabbing all the credit. Me, 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 me. And that was me. And it comes from a place where I didn't get that attention as a child in an alcoholic home. I just didn't. And it gets to a point where, as a grown-up, I'm either going to (laughs) be stomping my feet like a toddler, or I'm going to move on, and I'm going to be shown a different way. I always say that, you know, I used to be crazy, Kelly. Like, yelling, and like, just... Not fun to be around. And the 12 Steps of Al-Anon has given me the space to become Grace Kelly. Someone who, through learning and adapting new ideas and principles into the behavior that has changed for me, has allowed me to create the woman that I am today. And it is a creation. It is a choice of who I want to be. I can be yelling and me, me, me. I can be mean and cutting. I can, you know, ha good one, Kelly. Or I can have the space to grow and be shown who and how I want to be. And who and how I want to be is a woman who is full of love, compassion. You know, happy, joyous, and free. It just doesn't get any better than that, that expression. Um, what a way to maintain happiness and i've learned that when i look at my part of things i've learned that when i get to give others their space including my children how hard is that i'm given the grace to be able to grow into who i want to be and i don't have to be oh woe is me that's what it was like you know My mom is my stumbling point in my recovery. And it's because, you know, she made her amends to me when I was um, not in Al-Anon. So when she made her amends to me, I had no idea of recovery. I had no idea of, for lack of a better word, a spiritual experience. I mean, I knew God and I prayed to him, but not like what has happened. And so when I became a mother, um, this anger rooted inside of me because I got to see what it really entails to care for someone small who cannot care for themselves. And, um, you know, my rational part of my brain understands that it's a disease and it has to be baffling because we are as a species engineered to be motherly you know it woman and child it's just a, a kismet and to stop you from doing that what comes so naturally since the birth of people there has to be something huge that stopped her from doing that that's where I can come back to but the pain is still very much there And it taps into a place of me of not worthy. Like, what did I do in the universe that those are the cards that were thrown to me? That, um, you know, a little person in this crazy alcoholic home. And we're in a place, it was bad for a while. um, But we're in a place now where I can say to her, don't. Tell the stories. <laughs> she loves to tell the stories. Okay. From my experience. Sometimes. The telling of the old tale. And you know. The. On LSD. And ecstasy And falling. And couldn't find. It's. It brings to me. A place of. Although. That is not. Any longer. The case. It brings me to this place. Of. The innocent bystanders that went through all those situations. And um, I've had to tell her. There's, there's, if you could not tell those stories, that would benefit me and you finding a place where we can recover together. Because I don't want to hate my mother. And I don't want her to die with me um, having a resentment with her for something that, quite frankly, I'm coming to terms with she couldn't control for a very long time. So it's a catch-22. So when we can talk about it, and when I can find the space to sort of tell her what I need, and if she's willing, it falls into a boundary, once again, that makes me feel safe. And when I create these boundaries in my life, and people have... Um, They honor them. Um, It's wonderful. It's like the you give a little, I give a little. And then we get to grow from that. And it brings me to a place where I'm just so grateful for it. You know, working the 12 steps, step four was pivotal. And I always talk about it because... From my experience, everyone kind of makes a really big deal about step four. Like the daunting, like, step four. Like, oh, God. You know, in Al-Anon, there's this huge book. And you, like, go through all of it, the, the blueprints for... And you just... It's just homework, for lack of a better word. And um my experience with step four was... And there's a movie called The Neverending Story, and the kid gets to the point where he looks in the mirror, and he gets to see himself for who he is. And it says that knights find that they're cowardly, and the good Samaritan finds that he's uncharitable. And it's the idea of looking at the core of myself for who I really, truly am with all the veils taken off. Just the quietness of me and that pen and paper and then the guts to share it with a sponsor. That, for me, is the pivotal point in recovery. When I can do that fourth step, when I can get to a place where I can look at myself, that's where change can happen. That's for Change happened for me. I I mean, there was one. I was mad at this guy for like 13 years. 13 years. Called him all these bad names and blah, 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 blah. I did that fourth step, and I remember the moment where I was like, "Oh, It was my fault. Now, the fourth step doesn't open up everything that it's my fault. But what it did was open up the idea of that it wasn't all his. I played a huge part in the demise of it. Without working that fourth step in a very honest capacity, I would have never known what I had done. And all those years of, like, wasted space and time of saying that it was somebody else's fault when all along. I played such a huge, huge role in it, of not being able to know my own footing in it. And that followed me on all kinds of relationships with professors and, you know, I was always the one yelling at people. It was like this common denominator. It was always me. And so the idea of opening up and really looking at myself, that's what it was. And I always share that that fourth step, it was when my magnifying glass became my hand mirror. And when I was telling you what you were doing wrong and what you should be doing and this would work better if you did it that, and then all of a sudden I saw myself in there and I was like, oh, okay. And that moment, that stripped down moment of seeing me and my behavior gave me the opportunity to change. And that was pivotal in me changing. I mean, they say people don't change. I disagree. People can change. When you want to find happiness and you're willing to do whatever it takes to find it I think you can change and that was my true motivation in Al-Anon is finding happiness making that gnawing little pit in my belly go away now I'm human there's good days and there's bad days but for the most part that pit has been replaced with just Wonderful friends and and family and giving the opportunity to say "Mm, okay I was wrong on that one you were right and when I am right to not go hey haha I was right and you were wrong and making a big spectacle about it having the grace to say "Mm, okay it's really taught me how to be the woman that I wanted to be and in return it's taught me what kind of mom I want to be and the kind of mom I want to be is patient I want to be um, funny. I want to tell them not to take life too seriously because at any given minute, a curveball is going to be thrown your way, and it's how you handle the curveball is the trick of life. You know, when those grasses grew back, I thought, that's a curveball I didn't see coming. I thought for sure that we were done. And it has bloomed into a partnership and I have learned so much from him and he has become a great dad and the reason why he's become a great dad is because I've given him the space to become a great dad I'm not the woman in his ear going you know you should do it this way and wouldn't it be better if you do it that way that's just arrogance on my part again of thinking that I know what's best for everyone. That is my stumbling block. It really truly is. And it's probably going to be mine forever. It is what I constantly have to keep in check. I don't know best. I just don't. All I know is that at the end of the day, God has my back. I can see kindness everywhere I go if I'm willing to look at it. And if I can open up my heart to the challenges that I'm faced with, they give me the opportunity to grow as a woman. And I mean, for me, that's the idea of a spiritual path. The idea of growing and constantly changing towards the idea of what God wants me to become. And I say, God, I've got hands and arms. I'm on earth. Use me as you see fit. Someone taught me that that prayer, a very long time ago. And I love that, because it opens up the space for me to be useful, instead of me thinking, I know best. So, Alanon has taught me all of this. And I'm so grateful to have been there, and to listened. And, even though I cried for the first year, I heard a woman say one time, ugh, crying, it's okay. If it's sun all the time, the flowers get scorched and they die. The rain comes and it softens the earth and it allows the roots to really take shape. And it gives you a strong foundation in which to grow. And that's what happened. I cried and I allowed all of it to seep in. And it's given me the idea, the wisdom, the strength, the experience to grow each new day by all of those that have come before me and I just keep learning every time I come back and every time I show up for a meeting and every time, even though I don't want to speak, and some of you speak, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, in meetings or whatever. It's the idea of always growing is really what Al-Anon does for me, and it gives me the chance every day. So thanks, that's all I've got.